Welcome to Home Office. I'm Mark Legier. Back in 2007, I spent eight months working in Ghana, West Africa. On Valentine's Day that year, the government decided to promote the local cocoa industry by renaming it Chocolate Day instead. Now, we don't have cocoa farms here in the Maritimes, but we do have chocolate makers of national and international significance. Last month on the podcast, I spoke with Tarek Haddad of Peace by Chocolate in Antigonish. On this week's episode, I speak with Brianna Ganong. Her family has owned and operated Ganong for nearly 150 years. Brianna is the president and CEO, part of the fifth generation of family members to operate the business that now employs around 300 people in St. Stephen. I chatted with Tarek for nearly an hour for the podcast in January and was craving a piece of chocolate by the end. This time, I came prepared. I hope you enjoy my chat with Brianna and happy chocolate day. Hi, Brianna. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Very, very, very good. So where do I find you this morning? I am at One Chocolate Drive in St. Stephen this morning. One Chocolate Drive. I like that address. I am, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, guessing that the, <laughs> I'm guessing that street was named after the factory. <laughs> yes, after the it, yes, it was. It was uh, um, the, uh, this factory was built here in 1990 when we moved from our original brick factory in downtown St. Stephen. So it was right. a new street. Right. So you didn't coincidentally move to One Chocolate Drive. We did not, no. <laughs> Well, uh, Brianna, a few weeks ago, um, I, I had a chat with, uh, with uh, Tarek from uh, Peace by Chocolate. And, and by the end of the hour, I was telling him that, um, that uh, it was like inter- interviewing somebody that owns a chocolate factory is like talking to a chef or, or talking to a brewmaster, where you really shouldn't have a long chat without a beer or, you know, a good meal or chocolate. And because I was kind of salivating by the end of this. So I actually brought this morning, um, and our listeners can't see this, but I, I brought along uh, Ganong uh, Chicken Bones Bark, <laughs> just in case partway through the interview I, I get that craving. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I'm, I might have one of those right here uh, beside me too, pretty close. I could probably grab some. <laughs> yeah, and it's excellent. I had for the first time. So is this a new product? Oh, Has this been around? It is. Uh, it is a new product. Yes, it'll be uh, it'll be out in the market um, um, this year as well. So it's really um, a bit of a shift for us as we kind of work to create some more premium products that we're introducing into the marketplace. So that one uh, that format's a new one for us. So well, I'm curious, Brianna, because I, I want to take take you back um, a little bit actually to your to your childhood. I I just finished. Um, my son just did a, a book report on uh, the Great Glass, Ele- Great Glass Elevator, and and uh, we read the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory series, uh, those two books out loud, and and some of the other Rohal Dahl books. They're sort of big in our house, and the Charlie story has been big in my mind for the last week because of this project uh, that my son was working on, and and now I find myself talking to somebody who grew up in a chocolate factory. So tell me a little bit about your childhood and how much time did you spend around around the business when you were younger? Well, I would say that I didn't ever know anything different. So it's always been uh, a big part of, of uh, my life and our lives and, and um, always dinner table conversation. Uh, for most of my life, I grew up 
being within view of the old original brick factory. So um, when I was very young, we actually lived right next door to the factory. So every morning you got up, you could smell what was being made and, and saw people coming and going and, you know, went to the office after school. And so it was a big, um, a big part of, of everyday life um, um, growing up without a doubt. How how much did you feel like when did you start kind of kind of working there? Like, I, I know, obviously, uh, you weren't, you know, four years old, like, you know, dipping chocolates. <laughs> no, no. My first job was uh, was at the company was when I was 16. And so it would have been in the original brick factory downtown. And so I went to work in the plant. And my first day, I remember it vividly. I'll never forget it. Uh, it was the area that I was working was quite warm and actually I had to pick broken peppermints off the line. So they'd be going by. It was pretty, it was pretty, uh, fast. Um, they were moving by me. It was pretty warm and I have a tendency to get motion sick. So it was a bad combination for my first day of work because I felt extremely nauseous all day. So as a 16 year old kind of attitude teenager, I went home and I said, that's it. I'm never going back. You know, it was a big scene and not going back again. And my parents just were very calm and they just looked at me and they said, yes, you are. So I went back every day all summer and it was just fine. I learned a tremendous amount uh, and I wasn't doing that job all summer. I got to move around a little bit. So so it was good. And then I worked in our retail store here in St. Stephen um, throughout uh, throughout high school as well on weekends and summers and, and that sort of thing also uh, as well. And and then went away for a while and then came back uh, now I've been in the business um, full time for over 20 years. So did you always know, like uh, uh, when you were younger, did you always think, you know, I'll end up working in this business or did you go through a period where you thought you might do something else or how did how did that go? I grew up um, not wanting to have anything to do with the business, actually. So I think growing up in in a small town where you are um um, you do see your your family business on a day in day out. You hear about it. It's part of your everyday life. And and uh, I really wanted to to get away and to try something new and do something different. So actually, when I was in high school, I went on an exchange to Australia. So it's like the farthest away I could possibly get from St. Stephen, New Brunswick. Uh, and that I I uh, I really didn't intend on on getting involved in the business. But obviously, as you get older, you start to appreciate different things and. And um, be able to appreciate what it's like to to live in a small town and be close to your family and be close to your friends and have those kind of connections that you can't have in other places. So uh, um, it really kind of changed my thinking uh, in that regard. But I didn't grow up with aspirations of of being president of the, of the company. That's for sure. Right. And so apart from like uh, going away to Australia, was there a time where you, you know, went away and you know went to university, did did other things? Yes. Yeah. I, I kind of moved around for a while. So I went to uh, um, McGill at right as soon as I graduated from high school. Then I came back, went to UNB, then moved and went to the University of Western Ontario. So I kind of moved around a little bit before kind of coming back uh, here as well. And, and so tell me, um, well, I do have to ask right off the top, too, because we do have Valentine's Day coming up, uh, obviously, on Sunday. What was it like to grow up not just in you know, a, a chocolate factory environment, but to have your your birthday on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, maybe that was part of my uh, wanting to get away. Every year I had my picture on the front page of the uh, the uh, St. Croix Courier with my giant Valentine heart box. So I think there, I probably if I went down, I could get the chronological order of my birthdays uh, uh, there as well. So uh, it was it was unique for sure. Um, and in fact, I was born three months early. So it was even even more strange that I happened to be born on on uh, Valentine's Day, but 
and a family of uh, that uh, whose company created the first heart-shaped box in North America. So it is unique, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. And you, there must have been times in your teen years where you were like, no, no more pictures. <laughs> yes. I think they stopped uh, when I left elementary school, probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could see a teenage resistance to that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, over over the years, tell me about your how you uh, grew into the role that you're in now. Like what what uh, what different roles did you take on with the company over the years? Uh, I started in marketing um, as well, and then I kind of moved into a variety of roles. And I guess that that's kind of the nature of a family business. So you kind of move where where there's a need and and uh, to kind of grow and develop. And so I was in marketing. I worked in quality and R&D, uh, product development, um, account management, contract manufacturing, um, project management, uh, manage one of our expansion projects uh, and, and work with a lot of our uh, contract manufacturing partners as as that continues to be a larger part of our business as well before moving into into this role um, over six years ago. And with with a company like Ganong, I mean, you've been around for, you know, you're going to be coming up on uh, 150 years in a couple of years, uh, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I remember a few years ago, there was a few St. John companies and they were all turning 150 and uh, right around, and it was right around the time of Canada's uh, 150th birthday. And I remember doing stories on those companies. And what struck me was, you know, we tend in New Brunswick, we have these traditional companies, you know, Ganong and, and we have Moosehead Breweries and we have the Irving companies and, and, and the McCain's. And it, there can be a sense of, of, settledness from the public's point of view right we have these anchor companies that have just been around forever uh but one of the things that struck me about doing those stories in particular was that innovation was is always central to keeping a business going for 150 years there is no such thing as standing still and can you tell me a little bit about ganong's you know trajectory over over that i mean that's it's a very long span of time but what have been some of the major points of innovation for the company and just growth periods for the company? Absolutely. I mean, there were a lot of innovations over the the company's history, um, both for how they were processing products and the and all the introductions. So there was an era um, early in the company's history where they were introducing massive amounts of new types of confections and new confectionery concepts. So it would have been back in a day where people were going to the corner store and picking one of those and one of these and and that sort of thing. So they were introducing new products like on a monthly basis and some of them stuck like the chicken bone and some of the others and some of them didn't um, as well. Um, but that, you know, the, the first heart shaped box, the first chocolate nut bar in North America developed for a fishing trip, um, you know, a number of, of different um, uh, products like that. But I think more so there was all the adaptation, right? So when you're, you know, I mean, this year's 148 for us. Um, and so when you go through that many decades and that many generations, you've got to be adaptable to survive, right? So, you know, the the founders were really focused on growth and, and they grew the business um, substantially. Uh, next generation kind of dealt with world war um, and had to, to deal with the challenges associated with that. Um, you know, really growing and adapting throughout each of those generations. I mean, moving to this new factory um, because there was a recognition that we couldn't be um, competitive in a global environment where you were starting a product on one floor, going up three floors, going back down two floors. And and so that was a big step um, um, that uh, my father and the company took um, to move us into this facility. Um, we probably wouldn't be here today if if he hadn't done that. 
um, moving into contract manufacturing. So not just focusing on our own brands, but really trying to broaden so that we have um, more kind of scope and, and scale as well. Um, back, my great grandfather um, um, founded a board of directors for the company as well that had, was a fiduciary board and is still in place today. So um, his comments were to protect the family from itself. So to make sure that we had that outside governance and advice and oversight um, so that we weren't uh, inadvertently um, making really, really bad decisions um, on a go forward basis. And, and that continues to be an extremely valuable um, resource for for uh, myself and for the entire team as well. So, you know, those are some of the kind of adaptations and not necessarily innovations, but but um, adaptations that have been necessary to, to keep the uh, the business, um, you know, going and relevant and competitive um, as we go forward. So, and they're continue. We continue to need to look for those. And and I guess with that with that board too, is that a big reason why? Now I know you need the people that want to keep the family business going, but this is this is five generations for for you now, right? Which is yes. pretty remarkable for a, a family business. I have been recognizing things like needing that that outside check and that outside uh, advice been a big part of being able to as a family carry this carry this forward I think it's been it's been good the board can be a sounding board and and I think they've played different roles over different generations um, you know for myself and my brother uh, of the fifth generation it's been really helpful for us in our development as well to be able to draw on the outside expertise of people that have worked in other industries and have a different perspective and can provide us with you know, oh, watch outs, you know, be careful about that and don't forget about that and really can hold us accountable to making sure we stay on track from a strategy standpoint. And and I find it tremendously valuable and, and helpful. And I know the rest of the team does too. Our entire executive team reports to our board um, on a quarterly basis. Yeah. The uh, And here we are now uh, in in the midst of, of the pandemic. What, what uh, challenges and opportunities is that presented for you? Uh, it, I mean, it has been um, a tremendously challenging period of time as it has been for everyone. I mean, firstly, I am so thankful that we've been able to continue to operate unlike so many others um, as well. And, and our employees have been tremendously resilient and adaptable and adjusted to every um, changing protocol or or um, line configuration or um, PPE requirement that that has been put in front of them. So uh, that's been that's been great. Um, for us, we really had a growth mandate. So we've really been working prior to COVID on how do we um, grow uh, our business? How do we become more everyday? Historically, we had a lot of peaks and valleys and demand based on seasons. And so we've really been looking for um, large pieces of, of business, uh, contract manufacturing business in particular, to come in and, and be more seasonal and year round. So we keep our production and our employment um, more steady throughout the year as well. And we were running up against some barriers there um, because historically we tried to be all things to all people. So we can make this, we can make that, we can make something else. And they all have different ingredients. And in some cases, they all share the same equipment. And so for the customer and the consumer of the future, that's a no-go now, right? I mean, a, a customer doesn't want to put on their label may contain X, Y, and Z, right? So um, it became evident that we had to change how we did things. And so um, we had uh, um, the team had done a great job of putting forward a proposal of how we could transition um, from an allergen perspective to 
um, change our product mix, um, uh, secure some new equipment so that we could process things in different ways and that we would be able to secure some of those large pieces of business or that was our, our intent. And so we kind of went out on our skis a little bit and it happened that we were just finalizing the details and COVID hit. So it's like, okay, what are we going to do now? Um, but we just kind of charged ahead and and um, uh, worked to secure the financing. And then we did the work over the course of the summer and and um, we were able to secure uh, two um, new significant pieces of business, which we commercialized through the fall, installed new production lines um, and new pieces of equipment and worked to get things up and running. But it's been a bumpy road. Right. Um, it would be challenging at the best of times, but uh, when faced with a pandemic and all of the additional costs and and um, challenges. Um, we had uh, a people shortage before COVID. Um, and so we've been utilizing immigration programs and local recruitment efforts to uh, to supplement uh, our workforce. And so the immigration stream essentially grew, stopped, uh, came to a halt um, as well. So that, that was a big challenge for us because we secured these new pieces of business and then we weren't able to, to um, produce all of it. Um, and so we're really you know, continuing to work hard to make sure that we can can um, maximize uh, the production that we're able to do, but it's not easy um, during COVID for sure. Right. Um, so you, so how many people uh, work for you now in in Saint Stephen? Um, just under three hundred. Or under three hundred. Yeah. So you had needed to uh, because of the new the new the new production lines. You you were looking at increasing the workforce, and then sort of ran into issues around around uh, relying on on uh, immigrants coming in to help supplement the labor force there. Yes, yeah, we continue to to hire locally um, as well as, as through immigration. And we we did welcome um, some some newcomers throughout that period of time. But as opposed to welcoming 30 newcomers, maybe we welcomed like six or five. And that was over a long period of time. So um, it's it's been uh, a challenging period of time uh, um, for, for everyone, for sure. And would the the would they have been coming in through the Atlantic Immigration Pilot mainly? Yes, um, we have we've welcomed um, folks from the Atlantic Immigration Pilot as well as the Provincial Nominee Program as well as as individuals that were already uh, here uh, in New Brunswick um, as well. So we're really pleased um, we, um, that we have uh, now representation from twelve different countries within our workforce. So. That's, and that's across our admin team, our leadership team, and, and within operations as well. So that is such a tremendous, um, um, tremendous thing for a company of our age and our community and for our community and for our employees to have that kind of diversity that we've never had before, which is wonderful. Right, because I mean, it'd be, it'd be so enriching, right? And and I know uh, in, in, well, it's true of the larger centers in, in New Brunswick as well as the smaller centers. Uh, having people come in and, and fill jobs is is obviously critically important, but also just adding to the the richness of of the community. It 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 must be nice to have people from different parts of the world walking in the streets of St. Stephen and and working in the in your operations. Absolutely, it's it's great, and I think we're trying to find creative ways to kind of be able to share things about both our New Brunswick culture and and share and learn things about other cultures as well, and and. Um, our team's trying to do some some things um, kind of remotely and via so, um, social media and that sort of thing to kind of highlight um, different pieces of really interesting information so that we can all learn from each other, even though we can't do so at events or face to face right now. I'm trying to be creative about how we do that.
Now, I know it's a very different situation, but it, it reminds me of, of talking to Tarek a few weeks ago. And of course, they're in a different situation where, where they're the immigrants coming into Antigonish, right, and setting up a business. Right. And he talked a lot about the, you know, the community embrace of, of them in that small town and, and what they brought to that small town. And it, it strikes me that in, in reverse, you would have the same thing happening in St. Stephen, where you're kind of enriching the community through enlarging the workforce through immigrants. Has the community uh, kind of helped embrace uh, those people coming in, in uh, with you? Yes, yeah, I think the, the community has is, is certainly um, been quite welcoming and, and um, trying to, to help. It's, it's more challenging now, obviously, where, where people can't really um, help each other. But we have had some really great examples of, of people stepping up and, and uh, trying to help people uh, in really positive ways when they're when they're uh, first coming to the community as well. So which has been good. But over the long term, it's been a great thing for our community. So, yeah, absolutely. Is um, it, now with the workforce of 300 I and mean, it's a small town in St. Stephen. It, it there must be big are there big labor force challenges with you but to trying to to grow and expand even even with immigration? I think you know we've we've had um, challenges with being able to to find enough um, people to work in in the in our business for for a long time um, as well. It's not a new challenge. Um, there's there are a lot of different um, opportunities for people uh, you know in in our region at the kind of um, to move from from position to position to kind of at the entry level. And so what our goal has really been is to develop a longer term plan to say, okay, how do we move towards more automation so that we can then also engage our employees in developing those career paths here with us, right? So we launched a a new kind of compensation framework um, about a year and a half ago now that really illustrates to, to employees how they can move from maybe an entry level role up to an operator role to a more senior operator role. And and through, you know, even the new um, equipment and production lines that we um, uh, installed just this past year, like that opens up an opportunity for an employee to move from maybe a less skilled role into a more skilled role. So both more compensation and more training and development for them. So we have a long way to go to continue to to work on that. And we need to have that growth so that we have the ability to invest in more automation. But ultimately, our goal is to really advance um, advance our business model from being manual and man kind of more manual to being less labor intensive as well and we've been working on that by reducing um, the products that we make that are labor intensive and really moving to uh, to find ways to either automate or to to um, streamline our portfolio on that basis what are the kinds of products that would be more labor intensive uh, that you, that you would stop producing like how does how does that look in terms of product development and and how that would shift with automating more that's a good question, and, and um, we're really we're really starting to think about things in those ways. So, um, you know, for us right now, um, an assorted box chocolate that would be a traditional product for us is very is very labor intensive. So you have you know kind of if you picture kind of I love Lucy, right? It's still much like that, right? So so people are packing individual chocolates into trays, and so we're looking and and that's just one example. But for instance, we may be making a product that um, takes a lot of people to manually manufacture, right, or to pick scrap off the line, much like I was doing when I was 16, right, and doing some of those things. So how do we eliminate that kind of product and be able to produce more consistent product that that uh, has, you know, 
that's be able to be manufactured by machine as opposed to have to have all those people interventions um, that aren't very valuable, right? And I mean, even even um, not valuable to the person to do, right? And like even one other example is um, manually checking to see if there are empty wrappers coming off a line, right? And it's a high-speed wrapping line. And so that's coming off and people are trying to manually figure that out. Well, maybe technology like an x-ray can do that better than an employee can and be much more rewarding job for the employee to run the x-ray machine than to be sitting there trying to keep up with a very high speed line. And that's not going to be a very rewarding role for them either. Right. So it's really kind of looking at at our business in a different way and, and trying to make sure that when we're going after new pieces of business, that it's it's moving in that direction. Right. So it's not so much about automating to to replace jobs. It's it's automating just to make things more efficient and in many cases, creating better jobs for the people that are there. Absolutely. That's our goal is is to be able to show a path for employees where they can advance to their career here with us, as opposed to, you know, have to maybe not be come in and maybe not see what the path is for them. So we have a lot of examples um, on our team of, of individuals that that may have worked and much like my brother and I worked in a variety of different areas in the business and advanced um, as well. And so we really want to be able to show that path to, to other people as well, that there are opportunities for, for them to, to advance and to develop. And that requires additional training and development on our part as well. And so we need to make sure that we're doing our part there. Right. And, and from a business perspective, critically important in the sense that, I mean, all, all New Brunswick uh, communities, large and small, are, are trying to figure out how do we how do we retain people? How do we keep them from moving away? And that's true. People who grew up here. It's also true of our immigrants who, you know, we're taking a close look at retention rates on, on immigrants so that they're not coming in, staying for a year or two and then leaving the province. I, I suspect it's probably the same thing with immigrants coming in that you try to keep looking at opportunities that will retain them over time. Absolutely. And we do have examples where where uh, immigrants have advanced to to uh, uh, more senior roles, operator roles or moved into different departments um, in their time here as well. So we're certainly trying to do that for all employees to kind of develop opportunities and career path for them as well. But I mean, housing is another one um, that is a challenge um, with regard to attracting um, whether people are moving from Fredericton or whether they're moving from the other side of the world. Um, there is a definite shortage of, of housing uh, here in, in our area, just like there is throughout the province. That's another uh, barrier to overcome as well. And is the community, mm-hmm. uh, the town council sort of community leaders, are they uh, helping you look at ways of addressing those issues? Yes. Um, here in St. Stephen, we have uh, Future St. Stephen. Um, it, it's, uh, they really look at how we can kind of drive our community forward in a positive way. Uh, and so they are, de- they are working on, um, alternatives and looking for options to increase housing with the town and, and other partners. Cause that's one thing. I mean, I've noticed myself just from, um, you know, St. John and, and Moncton, Fredericton and, and Halifax, bigger centers, even during the pandemic, house, housing construction whether it's housing construction or apartment construction is is one of the things that's continued very strong, which gives you an indication that, you know, at least people are still moving in. Uh, you know, people are still looking looking for places. Right. And 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 it's it, it strikes me that that's a pretty critical piece in, in all of our centers. Right. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It is. It, I'm surprised. I'm just going back to a little bit of uh, discussion about your product development. I mean, a lot of people would think, uh, you know, obviously associate the Ganong brand 
Um, but it's curious to hear you talk about uh, producing products for other companies as well. How big a, a chunk of, the, of your business would that be? And is it a big, uh, a big piece going forward? It is, yes. Um, it, it would be more than 70% of our business today would be under other companies' brands um, as well. So our branded business is very important to us, and, and it's you know <clears throat> where we come from, and it's an important part of our history. And, and we have hear about tremendous connections that people have with our brands and our products, and because they've been around for so many generations that people have these memories that are entrenched uh, as well. Like we had uh, we had someone reach out to us recently. Um, and she had been just diagnosed with with breast cancer, and so she chose to to um, use our pink AB gums or our gum drops um, to fill up a jar with 390 of them, so that she could um, mark her cancer treatments um, and 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 each day eating one of the uh, gum drops until they were all gone because she loved that product so much, right? So for her to to link one of our products with with something that was going on in her life like that. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. And to hear all the positive um, stories from people around how chicken bones are part of their family tradition or um, just desperately looking for a product if they live somewhere else uh, in the country or the world because the holidays aren't the holidays without something is, is really uh, important. And, you know, we learned that with, with our mints recently as well, where we, we had to make the difficult decision a couple of several years ago now um, to remove them from the market because um, it was so costly to make them in the traditional way because that we were still making them the same way they were made when they were invented in the 1800s. Um, but we, the outcry that we heard from people were just, I, I love your mints. I, you know, I, they're part of a tra- this tradition or that tradition, but it's how do we connect and respect those memories and those traditions with the future right and with with your kids and with my kids and with the next generation so respecting those traditions but also how do you become relevant and so for us it's really um, for trying to take the time to understand that and not trying to um, have fuel the growth that we need to be competitive come from that side of the business right away Um, we really need the scale and scope that comes from these large pieces of contract manufacturing businesses like that we would be producing for large multinationals um, to help us be able to to work on that right if that if that makes sense yeah for sure how how, how has that evolved over the years like 10 20 years ago uh, were you doing these these kinds of contracts or is this a relatively recent thing I think we would have we would have started doing what um, private label back um, several decades ago uh, and then moving into the contract manufacturing business I don't know maybe more than 20 years ago 25 years ago maybe Um, and then uh, it just has continued to be um, more of a a significant part of our business um, throughout those those years and 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 we'll continue to in the year ahead it'll be more than um, more a higher percentage this coming year as well Obviously, strong, you know, brand associations, you know, locally and regionally around your products. What, what about um, export markets for your own, your own products? Uh, export mar- markets for our own brands? Yeah. Um, we would be um, predominantly here in Canada. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So our brand of business. I mean, obviously, as you said, um, focused here in Atlantic Canada and then um, as well, uh, depending on the season and depending on the product across the country also but but really haven't 
Um, we have done export in the past, but really have been focused on trying to gain distribution and, and um, grow our brands here in Canada uh, at this stage. Great. But our contract manufacturing business would be across North America. The, the st- I love the stories uh, that you hear around products like Ganong, like just me mentioning that I was doing this interview with you today brought out, you know, stories from my mother uh, about, you know, who's now, all, you know, in, in her late 70s with lifelong, associ- lifelong associations with Ganong. And of course, that big box of chocolates appeared every Christmas, you know, on at our house. And one of my coworkers talked about um, something, I don't know if you still do this, but she, she has memories of, of chocolate, chocolate days in, oh, in St. Stephen, festival, yeah. the chocolate yeah. festival. And, and she, she laughs now because she wonders if it would look the same now because she remembers being inside the factory and literally having, you know, uh, people, employees hand her dip chocolates right off the line, <laughs> but very powerful associations. Right. Um, yeah. and, and I know, you know, I, I had a, a talk with, um, uh, Blair and Rosalind Hislop weeks ago about last fall about them taking over Mrs. Dunster's and, 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 you know, they were taking over a known brand like Ganong and being overwhelmed uh, all the time by, by stories of associations with that, that brand. And it feels like Ganong is another one of those maritime brands that really resonates with people. Do you, do you still, and I know you, you told, told me the story about, about the woman, um, uh, who had uh, cancer and was going through treatments and relied on on your products? Do you do you get those stories all the time? Absolutely, and I mean sometimes even just recently, a lot in the, within the last few weeks on social media, people were posting their memories of different products that I had never even heard of before. Um, that just because because the um, there has been such a wealth of of products over multiple generations. Um, but we definitely, we hear it on a really regular basis, particularly when we're approaching a season. Um, people will share their memories and, and um, their connections, and they're really strong, um, and they're really, they, it's, it's really good. And as we kind of look forward, we f- try to make sure that we're respecting that and appreciating that, that people have these family memories that are tied to products, and, and that's really special. And it's, it's um, you know, I think because, because they've been around for so many um, decades and generations that... Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's important for us to remember that because just like, I mean, we're making candy, which is, which is fun and a positive and, and brings joy to people's lives, but you can forget about that sometimes. And you can kind of get into the day to day and, and kind of forget that what you're doing actually brings, um, enjoyment and brings back positive memories for people as well, which is really important. Um, I think to remind ourselves of every once in a while when we yeah. may have a particularly bad week or day. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of fun, right? Like, it's like, it's yeah, like absolutely. I mentioned in the beginning, like you, 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 you make people happy by making beer for them or making food for them or making candy for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, every once in a while, if I have like a bad day and I'm kind of cranky when I go home, my husband will say to me, did you forget that you make candy? Like, just kind of give me a little kick in the rear end, like ch- improve your attitude there. Like, it's all good. You make candy. Right. That's true. I'm, I'm uh, I, I'm very lucky, and I think it's very positive, and we need to remind ourselves of that some days. Yeah, and and I mean it's not you know we're working our way through this, but the you know the pandemic right like these what we're all going through on a day to day basis to try and get through this um, these are little joys right? Absolutely, yeah. You need to you need to remember that and really try to kind of spread that message as well. So. 
um, you know, to, to have people be able to take a moment to just enjoy something and to appreciate uh, a memory or uh, an occasion, um, whatever that may be. Yeah, we need that uh, more than ever, I guess. And and the and the chocolates in in the heart shaped uh, boxes. Tell me about that story and and the roots of that product. And you're bringing it back now, aren't you? Um, yes, um, they're working on plans to to bring that back. So that would have been introduced um, back in an era where we would have had a actually a box making. Uh, um, facility within the factory um, in downtown St. Stephen. So they used to make all kinds of different shapes and sizes of, of boxes um, that were really special and, and uh, um, handmade. And so they introduced the heart-shaped box actually for Christmas, and it would have been um, back in, in uh, um, the Depression era uh, as well. So back when people really needed uh, needed to pick me up and uh, and so came out for Christmas and then obviously moved into to Valentine's. Uh, and it has been a huge um, features um, for us and our business over over many generations. It was a very significant piece of our business. Um, certainly, while I was growing up, um, Valentine's uh, Valentine's was a really special part, and ha- we had a wide range of Valentine hearts. And then the market has changed. Um, certainly, you know, much more global, and and uh, the product uh, mix and the retail environment has really changed. So we actually exited um, Valentine hearts a number of years ago, but. Uh, um, our marketing team is doing a great job of, of working on plans to to reintroduce uh, a new um, heart-shaped box um, for the future. And we also, we do sell um, heart-shaped box at our retail store, um, but not more widely than that right now, but we have plans to. Now with, um, I know, we you know, we've been talking about the, the, the challenges and, and the opportunities for you uh, as a company in St. Stephen and your own business with Ganong, but I, you know, I do know that you, you also, uh, you know, are chair of, of the business council, um, you know, take a leadership role across across the province in terms of economic and business development. What's your view on kind of where we where we sit right now, you know, coming through the pandemic and, and trying to keep, you know, their economy on solid footing and still growing despite all these challenges that we're facing? I think, um, you know, from from my perspective and, and just listening to others and learning from others, um, you know, we, we've certainly heard the message and, and uh, from uh, economists um, over over the years as well about, you know, the challenges that we're faced with regard to aging population and, and our demographics and and uh, the need to automate. And, and those things aren't changing with the pandemic. They're just becoming uh, more urgent and, and more time sensitive for us to, to react to those things. I mean, APEX um, put out a, um, a report uh, within the last number of weeks that just kind of outlines that uh, and reminds us, not that we didn't already know that we had an aging population, but how quickly uh, um, deaths are outranking births and, and how, we're, how we're moving in that direction. So I think we also know that New Brunswick is a wonderful place to live. Otherwise, we wouldn't live here, right? It's a great place to raise um, family. We see that people are moving here throughout the pandemic because they see it as a great place to to live and, and to raise a family and to be surrounded by the beauty that we have. Um, you know, I couldn't think of a, a better place to to live um, for sure. But we do have some some challenges that we need to make sure that we're having the right conversations around. Uh, and we've spoken about many of them today, um, you know, immigration and automation and our demographics and and uh, housing is a challenge and all of those things kind of are, are barriers at this stage. Um, but we need to we need to encourage um, you know, innovation and, and the training and development to make sure that 
um, our youth are prepared for the jobs of the future and the companies are prepared to, to be able to adapt and evolve um, in the same way. So I think from my perspective, um, I'm happy to, to participate in, in that conversation in, in whatever way I can. I mean, we're committed to New Brunswick and committed to um, supporting other entrepreneurs and, and trying to facilitate conversations. And so that's kind of how I see uh, my role in, in working, uh, working with the Business Council uh, um, and, and our new uh, CEO, um, Alex LeBlanc. And, and as you said, I mean, really in, in the conversation we've, we've had, really the, the things that you're tackling through your own company at Kanong really are, you really touched on the major issues really around, you know, immigration, retention, retention and, and labor force growth and selling the strengths of these communities, right? Because even our largest cities are really just big, small towns. <laughs> It's true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a wonderful place to to know that your neighbors are looking out for you and that you can depend on them. And, and uh, um, it's it's, you know, you know, even when you have um, people that move to the community, I mean, they always make a comment of I can't believe how friendly everyone is and how everyone's there for each other. And so we just need to make sure that that we're being friendly and we're supporting each other, but we're also moving um, to the place that we need to be to be successful as well at the same time. So, you know, working together and having those those appropriate conversations and making the progress that we need to make uh, to get there. Well, I really appreciate your your time, uh, Brianna. This has been a great chat. I, I'd be curious to know as we close, you you have your birthday coming and you have Valentine's Day coming and, and a long weekend coming as well. Uh, with, with, uh, yeah, with family day coming. Do you have uh, special plans for the weekend? What was your weekend plans look for like? the weekend? Um, probably uh, hanging out at home with my with my family, I expect. So that's uh, that's probably uh, what we're going to do. So we try to, to take on a new project or do some outdoor activity every weekend. So I'm sure we'll find something there. We have spent a lot of time together, but uh, uh, it is uh, it is nice to to uh, to find new ways to enjoy our time together. So, yeah, too what, exciting. <laughs> No what problem. are the kinds of things that you uh, that you like to do outdoors? Like, what is what does a weekend look like in in Saint Stephen in the area? Um, last weekend we went um, skating on a lake, so we did that, and we've done a little bit of hiking and and uh, lots more walking. So, you know, the the pandemic has definitely um, had a lot of of negative effects on people, but we, you know, I think that we all have a choice every day when we wake up to be positive or to be negative. And, and, uh, I think, um, it has totally changed our life. My husband and I were both on the road, uh, much more. Um, and now we just have to find a different way of living and we're spending a lot more time together. I mean, we've never had this many meals together as a family, uh, ever, uh, for sure. Uh, and so trying to appreciate some of those, those, uh, uh things in, in new ways and make sure that we're continuing to be active and trying to, trying to, uh, enjoy, uh, this new reality that we're faced with. Right. Cause I suppose you would, I was talking to, uh, Danila rock last week from, uh, major drilling and, and he spends a lot of his uh, time on the road with this pre pandemic, trying to grow that, that business and, and visit sites around the world where it does mining. And I guess with your, uh, especially as you try to grow, uh, markets for making products for other companies, you, you would probably spend a lot of time on the road, eh? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, an interesting piece of being here in New Brunswick, though, as well, is I think that we've 
developed um, some tools to be able to um, have relationships and strengthen relationships remotely anyway, um, simply because of where we are. So even if you are traveling a lot, you're not able to go down the road and and uh, have an afternoon meeting with a, with a customer like somebody else might be able to. So um, I think we did have some tools that helped us to be able to build those relationships remotely, certainly not to the extent that that we're doing now, but uh, it is de- it is a shift. And, and we've just been talking recently about, okay, now that we're, we're approaching a year, how are we going to do this differently, right? If things are not going to change anytime soon, how are we going to um, have check-ins that are more like what you would have in a normal business year with your, with your customers in a different way? Um, um, and how do we kind of move forward with developing some of those different tools? And, and we're doing it in our operations too, right? Trying to we had a lot of equipment failures and not being able to bring in equipment suppliers to help us overcome maintenance issues. And so now we're working with um, um, other New Brunswick companies on on using technology um, for virtual reality to be able to have um, a, a equipment manufacturer in Australia, for instance, be able to see a piece of equipment and say, OK, yeah, no, do this and do that uh, instead of trying to do it on the phone or, or uh, via Zoom or whatever we've been trying to do over the last uh, um, number of months. So just just trying to find ways every day to adapt in, in some small way to to where we're at and, and where we need to go. And some of those innovations like that one in particular will survive the pandemic, I suspect, right? If you figure out that you can actually get somebody to have a look at what's going on from Australia through virtual reality sort of tools and, and that kind of thing, that's that that'll probably survive the pandemic. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, we need to challenge ourselves to say, what else could we be doing, right? Um, you know, what else could we be doing um, and utilizing technology in different ways? Because sometimes you end up just doing things because you've always done it that way. And and for a company our age, that happens quite a bit. So we need to be challenged and we need to push ourselves to say, is there a better way to do this? Is there a new perspective? Is there a new way we could be um, accomplishing this goal? So um, especially when, when we face a new challenge that we haven't faced before. How do you feel coming, I mean, I say coming out of this, and I hope we are coming out of this, but we'll we'll remain optimistic. Uh, How do you feel about the company's future prospects coming out of this? Like, uh, what's your outlook? I think that, you know, we have a lot of really um, great positives on the horizon, and I think it's been a bumpy year, just like it's been for everybody. Um, We've been, we've been, uh, um, particularly uh, uh, happy to be able to secure these new pieces of business for the future. Uh, and so really to, you know, we just need to kind of kind of get things up and running and, and uh, moving in a positive way. But we've been working a really long time to kind of turn in this direction of this everyday business. And we've been making small steps along the way. And you can see it on the on the horizon and we're seeing the positives. And so it's just how do we continue to make sure that we don't lose sight of of where we need to go and and um, to incorporate all those pieces um, from an employee ben- employee uh, standpoint and from a growth perspective and efficiency standpoint and continue to keep our eye on those priorities. But uh, uh, we've got a great team and and everybody's pulling in in the same direction. So really optimistic about uh, kind of moving forward in a positive way. All right. Well, thanks very much, Brianna. I really appreciate this. It was it was great chatting with you. Yeah, nice chatting with you as well. Thanks very much for the interest. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. You've been listening to the latest episode of Huddle Home Office. Thanks, Brianna, for the great chat. If you haven't listened to my conversation with Tara Haddad, please go subscribe to Huddle Home Office on your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher. 
There you'll find my conversation with Tarek and chats with other business leaders in the region. Huddle Home Office is produced by me, Mark Legere, and Sharice Letson. Have a happy Valentine's Day and happy Chocolate Day too. We'll talk to you again next week.